welcome to the Right to Reason. I am your host, Robert Stanley. Today, we're going to be getting funky. <laughs> More importantly, we're going to be talking to Ben Fama Jr. about his new documentary, Reasons to Believe. We'll discuss liberalism, conservatism, tribalism, conspiracy theories, 9-11, how to change minds, impulse control, religion, gun culture, Me Too, police shootings, political correctness, feminism, and even identity politics. we got a real type of thing going down and a whole lot of rhythm going around. You ready? <laughs> Let's turn this mother out. Reasons to Believe is a documentary film about the psychology of belief. Why do we believe what we believe? And why is it so hard for us to change our minds? This is Ben Fama Jr. and you are listening to The Right to Reason. I really start with just the neuroscience of belief. It's just connecting the dots, finding patterns in nature, and building percepts into concepts. And so this sort of convergence of lots of neural inputs uh, generates what, what we call beliefs. When I think about the word belief, uh, to me, it just means something that I hold to be true. Some that can be based in evidence, some that are not necessarily based in scientific evidence. So for me, a belief is just something that you think is true. It's a setting in between the input and the output that makes you who you are. Those beliefs that you have set in that middle, that's what makes you behave differently on the output side than, say, your best friend. Communities of people hold certain beliefs. And when everybody you know holds a certain belief, when your friends hold a certain belief, it's much more difficult to let that belief go. Even though this is such a threatening and negative belief, people would still prefer to believe, you know, in a world that has this negative or scary explanatory structure than one that is completely unpredictable. It's the Right to Reason podcast. Tether it off, we're gonna tether it off the mother sucker. Tether it off the sucker. Tether it off, we're gonna tether it off the mother sucker. Tether it off the sucker. You believe in the message of the right to reason and feel that it is a contribution to today's marketplace of ideas? You could help support it by sharing it with your friends, giving it a rating on iTunes, subscribing to it on YouTube, following it on Twitter at Right to Reason One, following the Right to Reason page on Facebook, and contributing at patreon.com forward slash right. Even a dollar provides multiple rewards. That's patreon.com forward slash right. Thank you for supporting your right to reason. Filmmaker and podcaster Ben Fama Jr. Happy to have you here, sir. Thank you, buddy. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Yeah, this is so cool, man. And uh, I, I love your show, too. We both got to talk to Dr. Hector Garcia. I love that. The first time I heard about you, it was a, a YouTube video. Man, this was way back. And it was something, It was about fear. And you, you talked to Dawkins, if I recall. And it, it was really awesome. And now you've got this totally new movie coming out. Can you tell us about this documentary? And maybe even if people haven't seen your your fear video that would be cool too yeah so i mean real quick with a virus called fear that's a short video that you can see on youtube it's about 20 minutes it basically talks about you know how irrational fears in society cause us to make uh, bad decisions or get us to think differently and i and i focus on how you know religion and the media is one of those things that kind of spreads throughout our society that's what spreads through fear which actually led me to this documentary film that i worked on called reasons to believe so now i'm challenging why do we believe what we believe and how do we come to the understanding of our belief and what is the harm of those beliefs? You know, we always- 
phrase here. If it bleeds, it reads, and that sort of. I want to. I want to phrase this right. Cause I, I want to ask the cliche: Does art interpret life, or does life interpret art? But when it comes to like fear, are we creating a society based on fear? Do you think with the whole social media world that we live in now, or is it more just like it's always been this way? We're now just seeing it for what it is. You know, it it has always been this way. I mean, people for thousands of years have always used fear to you know control people, to get people to think and do things. I think a lot of you know even religion in itself uh, came from deep-seated fears. I think some of it's intentional. I think some of it's not. But I think the problem nowadays is a lot of it is social media in the in, in the extent that it, it's just more widespread. You're, you're more likely to come across things you probably would have never came across. I mean, think about it. You know, we're hunter-gatherers in the jungle. You know, we're only around 150 people at a time many, you know, thousands of years ago. And now uh, you would probably only hear information from your own tribe. Whereas now you're hearing information from all around the world at any given moment, 24 hours a day. And I think that takes a toll on our, you know, our amygdala, how we how we perceive reality. So I think it feels more fearful. I think it feels like the world is in much more chaos and not to say that the world doesn't have serious problems. But I mean, even Steve, Steven Pinker brings up, you know, we have less violence than we've ever had. We're doing better than we've ever done throughout time. It just seems with the media, with social media, with all these things that we're constantly being reminded of the negatives. And if you really think about it, you know, our brains are designed to or have evolved. I hate using the word design because then, you know, creationists think <laughs> that it's designed. But but in a sense, they, they've evolved. All, all to, my listeners feel for you right now because they're all like, yes, you know, you feel. <laughs> no, it, and it feels that way sometimes. Doesn't you got to be and so careful. You I, got I was to. talking to this one guy and he said something like, um our gene code has instructions in it. And I'm like, well, yeah, sure, that's that's not a problem. He's like, right, so if there are instructions, then they're supposed to do something, therefore they have a designer. And I was like, what, what, hold on, no, you're not gonna get me. Just move on toward your destination. You know, I, tell, I used to tell people all the time when I, I, I used to have long hair a couple years ago that I grew my hair out to pull my hair out over these arguments because they get so old and they're mm. just so, and, and well, what's funny is, is what I was just saying a second ago about how our brains have evolved to identify threats. So we're going to see negative much more than we're going to see positive. So if you think about that in the social media or the me just media atmosphere, we're going to identify and remember more negative stuff. You know, like, for example, take a plane crash, right? you're going to you're going to look on the news and you're like oh my gosh planes are unsafe but they don't ever tell you the 5000 planes that every day land safely we don't we're always going to identify more negativity and so that's that was the whole point of the premise of when i made that film was to show how you know especially religion and the media both um and politics i think that was the third one i forgot about was just how they generate and use fear and if you think of it like a virus like a computer virus once it spreads through our system, it's just replicating itself. And I think these systems have for way too long spread fear. And that's why I made that film. You know, I did a, a YouTube video a little while back about about why we're conservative and liberal. And it's so it's so it's such BS to say I did a video when I'm talking to like a real professional filmmaker. I did a, a, a hobby video. <laughs> it's not even <laughs> fair. <laughs> but anyway, but what, and, but it was talking about how the fear based part of the brain is uh, apparently larger with conservatives than it is with liberals. And it kind of, I hate saying something like that because anybody listening that's conservative, they're like, oh, what, you're calling us all pussies? It's like, no, hold on. You know, it's just that we actually have physical differences, chemical differences 
And on, on the topic of fear itself and how it affects our beliefs, it's weird because I, I was seeing this study where they were able to just give someone uh, an image that causes fear or paranoia in them or just say something kind of scary to them before they make a decision about new information that they present to them right in, in the experiment, you know, and the participant can be guided to think more liberal or conservative based on whether or not they make them feel safe or scared. Yeah, that is interesting. And I, and, um, I haven't seen the science myself, but I agree with you because I've, uh, you've interviewed, uh, Hector Garcia on your show and I have too. And I, he talks about that. In fact, he brings that, I guess he says he's going to bring that up in his next book, but I did find that interesting. And I have, I actually, you know what? I have seen studies on that now that you've said that, that do say that. So I don't think that should be a scary thing for people. I think that's an interesting thing because if you think about it, uh, conservatism is really about, you know, protection. You know, they're really about guns, the military, about being, you know, it, it's conserving your, you know, your ideas and basically saying, you know, liberal is more progressive and progressive takes more change, which actually you have to walk through more fear to get change. So I think they're interesting ideas. I, th I definitely think that there's something to that. I always like the analogy and tell me because you, you know more about this than I do, but the, the idea of the conservative is, is, the guy that's saying, hey, let's stay in the cave. It's safe here. And that's a really good idea if there's a threat right outside the cave. The liberal's the one that's saying, hey, let's leave the cave. Let's go find something else. And that's a really good idea if you're running low on food in the cave or if the cave really isn't as safe as maybe another cave that you're going to. It doesn't really matter if you're a liberal or a conservative as far as ethically. It just matters how much you allow this kind of thinking to control you and how much you allow it to make you judge everybody else sitting around in the same cave. We're all sitting around the same fire, just sitting here just, just miserable and hating each other, but we're not really all that different, or at least we shouldn't judge each other based on our differences, maybe. And I feel like in this Trumpy-like political climate, that's kind of what we're doing. We're all just we're all just miserable, but we're, we're in the same cave. Yeah, you know what's interesting is is that I think it's um it's it's definitely a balance between the two that's important. I don't think there's a right or wrong. I don't think that like because you're conservative you're wrong or because you're liberal you're wrong. They both have benefits to our survival and you're absolutely right. The the person that might need to be more conservatory might be a good thing. You might need to uh, reserve more resources. You might need to be able to protect your group more. You know, you're not going to always let the outside group come in because that might actually be a true threat. You know, same time, uh, you know, a liberal being more compassionate, being more progressive, wanting change, wanting to build tools. Um, I, that's also important too. I don't think, and I think this is the problem in our society right now is that we're getting too much to these extremes. There's too much to the far right, yeah. too much to the far left. And th that's when I think there creates like an imbalance. I think the good thing about conservatism and liberalism is when it's balanced correctly. And there's, you know, our forefathers were smart enough to see that and to see that the balance in a democracy to fact check when it works properly, not when it becomes this ideological bullshit that it is, but when it works properly does work good because we're we're kind of checking each other. You know, it's kind of like science. You know, I might have an idea. You might have an idea. But we're always trying to check against each other's ideas and trying to make sure, well, what's the best outcome in such a complex world to do that. So I think that's what we've lost touch with. It's become more tribalism. It's become more, well, you got to fit into my group and you're in your group. And it's just, it's such animalistic behavior. Um, what I would like to see in a, you know, in a perfect world, of course, but what I'd like to see is for people to understand um, other people's ideas more and get rid of this, you know, fear, going back to fear 
of the other person's ideas all the time. And that's hard. That's hard for me, too. But that's how you get to change people's minds at the same time. You know, you know, another reason when, when we talk about the film Reasons to Believe, you know, belief is an important part of how we perceive reality. And being able to understand another person's point of view and how they came to that belief is how you understand your own belief. How do you know that you know what you know? You know, how, how are you so correct? How do you know for sure that you're right about your answer if you don't know the, the, the person, the opposing person's uh, point of view? Okay, so there's, you and I, we both disagree about something. If I can figure out how I came to why I believe A instead of B, then I could probably figure out why you might have believed B instead of A. Is, am I kind of close to where you're going there? Yeah, so I'll give you an example even in myself. So one of the reasons why I got into politics myself, um, I don't consider myself a political filmmaker, ironically, but um, what got me into documentary and politics was the Iraq war. And most people in America, including myself, believe there was weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. And so I used to fight and debate that argument saying there is weapons of mass destruction. And people like my mom would say, no, there isn't. Now, I didn't know why I believed that position. I think I just believed it because that's, you know, what I was told, maybe the news, whatever. But I didn't even know why I believed that position, but I would keep arguing the position. It wasn't until I started to understand the other position that I questioned my position, that I was like, oh, the more I understood this other position. Now, it doesn't mean I still couldn't have been right, but making sure and, and checking and figuring out, well, how could I be wrong? How could I be wrong about this? And not being afraid to be wrong when you are. It's one of the things Peter Bogosian talks about, who's in who's in my film, is, you know, how how can you be wrong about your position? In fact, when you talk to somebody else that has a position different than you, instead of saying, oh, provide the evidence, which is what I used to do all the time, instead of saying, oh, provide me the evidence for your God, provide me the evidence for your chemtrails, asking them, well, how could you be wrong about your position? What are some things that would get you to change your mind? Now, if nothing can change your mind, right, especially not, uh, you know, if nothing at all, then you don't really derive your beliefs from evidence. You just, you, you know, whatever system you use, it's not based off of evidence. Nothing changes your mind. Something should always be able to change your mind in any position. I think us as free thinkers, as atheists, you know, you people who use reason, we, you know, with sufficient evidence, we could change our mind to believing in God. You know, just give me sufficient evidence to do that. But something has to be able to change your mind or you're just, you know, you're not really thinking critically about it. So, that's what I do now because I'm so afraid of actually being wrong. I mean, most people don't like being wrong, but I've been wrong so many times about my beliefs. I used to believe in conspiracy theories. I used to believe in spiritual new oh, age. I used too. to believe in me God. Too. Yeah, I was a big. I was a. I, to this day, I still love conspiracy theories, even though now I see them for what they are. But now it's almost like watching a a scary movie. Like you know, it's not real, but you're like, I I would like more details. Like where did you know where did Michael Myers come from? You know. Or, Right. What, what made Linda Blair do this or that? But it's not like you really believe it. But yeah, I, I used to do that all the time. Yeah, conspiracy theory. I mean, when people ask me, like, what are your beliefs? I, used to, I, I literally used to have a lot of them. That's why I made this film. But conspiracy theories out of everything. I mean, I, I consider spirituality was one of my biggest things, too, next to, you know, God. But... But conspiracy theories, the, believing 9-11 was an inside job was probably my biggest, strongest belief that I had. Okay, and I so got what, it. I, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have interrupted you, but I'm, I, you got me so excited here. OK, what what changed your mind about uh, being a truther? For me, interestingly enough, going back to the political thing originally, I supported the Iraq war so much. And then I saw Fahrenheit 9-11. OK, now. People are going to say, oh, well, you just believe Michael Moore. OK, back then I used to believe Michael Moore. I'm not saying I totally disagree with Michael Moore, but I don't 
he I also think he has errors in his argument. So I want people to understand sure. that back then I did believe him when I saw it. So I didn't know the full story. And then what happened was I went down this other road of watching documentaries where I started watching things like Loose Change and Zeitgeist and all those, you know, you know, all the conspiracy documentaries. Yeah. First time I saw Zeitgeist, I was sold completely. Exactly. And then it, and it, it wasn't much. It was like like maybe a week later or something. I'm like trying to find all the other evidence of, of each thing that he was talking about. And exactly. I'm like, wait a minute. This is hard to find. Why is this hard to find? On Google, this wouldn't be that. Oh, it was bullshit. Same, same with loose change. I mean, I, I would watch it. And, you know, back then I really wasn't a critical thinker. And so I so I'd watch it and I was like, oh, yeah, well, there is no evidence for planes hitting the Pentagon. There is. No, I mean, it just seemed like they were presenting a factual case and I didn't know any better, you know. And, right, and right. I just kept going down this road to where I started listening to you know, crackheads like fucking Alex Jones, you know, and I just, I just, and I literally was getting to the point where I believed in like, you're turning the frogs. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't believe that, which I, it's, it's crazy, but, right, but right. he's, but he, but like I, Trump did. I literally, Trump yeah, loves Oh him. yeah. Don't get me started. We'll go, we're getting to Trump here in a minute. I believe me. Um, but you're having such a hard time staying on track with me. Cause like every second I'm just like, Oh, what about this? What about this? What about no this? Worries. I should just shut up and actually do my job as an interview. No worries. No worries. You talk. I'm the same way. Don't I'm enjoying the conversation. It's exciting. Man. So I know. It's because you're like, man, I'm going to cover this area. <laughs> when you believe in things that you don't understand and you suffer. I started really believing like the New World Order shit. Like I really started believing there's this Illuminati. Oh, wow. Like I started getting deep into it. Like I started actually being paranoid. And what had happened, the reason why – and so going back to changing my mind was – at the same time, you know, this is the mid 2000s. I started, I, I think most people that got into politics when they understood the George Bush administration started to also question, you know, religion because we're talking about Islam here. We're talking about the, the Christian base electing George Bush. So I think it was natural for most people in politics to be like, okay, what is Islam? Cause I didn't, I didn't know the, di I, the only, the only person I knew that was, you know, Islam was Muhammad Ali. I didn't know shit about fucking Islam. So. I think what happened is once I started diving into it, I started seeing the problems with it. And eventually I got into Hitchens and, and Dawkins. Like those were the two main people I came across first. So I started listening to them more, even though I started believing the conspiracy theory stuff. They didn't really talk about conspiracy theories. So I thought, well, I'm on track to that. But as I started getting into the, you know, um, debating of religion stuff, eventually I'd come across people like Sam Harris and then Michael Shermer. But I, I think it was Michael Shermer was the first person that I heard on a C-SPAN television show debating 9-11 truthers. And he would say things that like he would give answers that were that were good. I mean, he didn't like criticize them like they were thoughtful answers. Like I had to actually think about it. But at the same time, you know, I'm listening to Hitchens. I'm listening to Dawkins. I'm like, well, if they're debating the facts, like I'd watch his Christopher Hitchens debates all the time. Like he would, you know, he would debate, you know, a religious leader and he was just so good at it. And I learned a lot from debates. I watched a lot of debates online and I started thinking myself, I'm like, okay, well, these people believe X to be true. They believe in God. They believe in all these other things. Why do you think you're correct about your position about conspiracy theories? So it started to wake up this whole other side of me. I was like, oh, shit, you know. And when I started learning about skepticism and, you know, thinking and critical thinking and how to think, that's when I started questioning everything. And it started I started to change my mind during that process. It's your thing. Do what you want to do. I can't tell you who to talk to. 
when I started to make reasons to believe, it was just me starting to be like, okay, well, now that I know I'm wrong about my beliefs, I thought if I could go into the world and give facts to people, right? If I could just say, hey, here's why we could be wrong about God. Here's how we could be wrong about chemtrails. Here's how we could be wrong about conspiracy theories. I was surprised that people would not change their mind based off of facts. And that's what propelled me to make the film was saying, why don't people change their mind? Why is it so hard for people even in the face of facts, because I couldn't understand why why is it facts were not enough. So that's that's what propelled me to make the film. What's the what's the term I'm trying to think of where you tell somebody something, but because you tell them this thing, they like double down and they they even go farther back into their preconceived notions just because you you gave them information that that contested. What I believe it's called the backfire effect. Black, yeah, backfire. Yeah. Effect. yeah. Okay, so here's here's a scenario, all right. And my listeners know I, I often argue religion and politics with my dad, who's a preacher, right? Very conservative, Trump supporter kind of guy. But you know, he's like a reasonable dude, right. right? But he's just he's just far, far religious right kind of guy. I'm talking to him about uh, whenever we nuked Japan, okay? And I say we didn't have to because Russia had already invaded Japan, Dad. And he's like, uh, that's just not right. And I'm like, yeah, it is. And and so we both just start, you know, Googling and, you know, flipping pages and books and, just, you know, thing going on because we're I'm going to prove him wrong with facts. He's going to prove me wrong with facts. And what ended up happening is he proved me wrong. Right. And my whole premise was that we should never have nuked them, which I still believe we shouldn't nuke anybody. You know, that's probably not a good idea. But but my whole premise was based on we shouldn't have nuked them because Russia had already had boots on the ground and were, were invading Japan. There was no need to nuke them. They had already lost the war. And he sa- he, he shows me, well, actually, Russia invaded Manchuria, which is in China. Japan had just conquered that part of China in World War II. Russia had ar- occupied some part of Japanese land, but it was only land that they had just recently acquired in China. After he proves my facts wrong... I still don't change my beliefs. I'm still like, well, they still shouldn't have done it. At that moment, I'm kind of, it's not necessarily a backfire effect because I didn't double down on the facts, but I did double down on my belief. It's just now my belief didn't necessarily rely on the facts that I had any longer. And I'm wondering, what what do we do with that? I remember Boghossian was kind of referencing something like that where it's like just giving people evidence and just giving people information isn't enough. Like, is this... um. Well, I don't know, Ben. Is is this like we have to work within people's emotions yes. too? Like, how do we do yes, this? Yes, and that's the one thing that I I tell people, and I think it's one thing that the skeptic and the atheist community doesn't take in consideration enough is emotions. And I and I really think we need to get better at doing this. And I'll tell you why for a couple of reasons. First off, I mean, no one likes to be wrong. First off, and no one changes their mind overnight. So the the feeling that you have that cognitive dissonance of saying like this is going against what I believe to be true creates pain centers in your in your brain. It's almost it's a discomfort that you don't want to acknowledge. This is why it's so hard for people to change their minds. People think this is just related to religion. And I'm like, no, it is to most things. This is why, you know, you can have problems in your relationship of people arguing. There's people with sports teams that argue the same way, right? So the ability for us to be able to get past that discomfort for us to think critically is what we have to do, but we have to understand how emotions play a part in that. That's why I'm such an advocate for emotions and emotional understanding. Because think about it. When we debate 
the facts all the time. Say, for example, like religion. Okay, well, we could say, you know, there wasn't, you know, the, the resurrection or uh, the earth being created in, you know, six days or whatever the fuck it is. We, we think facts are enough to get people to change their mind, but people don't believe these things because of the facts. They believe it because their emotional attachment to what this is, right? When you go to a church, they're going, you know, they're going there for the community. They're going there to answer psychological questions even in themselves. This is why people join cults. You could tell them facts till they're blue in the face, but there's an emotional reaction that they have to. It's kind of, you know, being like a part of a family, like even in a relationship, why do some people get into relationships that they shouldn't be in, right? Like a woman could be with a guy who, 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 you know, with domestic violence or whatever, and you could tell them, Hey, this person isn't good for you. You can give all the facts in the world. Why is it hard for her to leave? Because she has an emotional attachment to that person. Well, it's the same thing. We, we, we don't realize that the facts don't matter. If they mattered, people would understand how shitty this damn president is, right? They would be like, yeah, here's the right. facts, but they have an emotional attachment. And we, as skeptics and atheists, I think need to do better of understanding the psychological aspects. Because again, people join cults. They, they, they join, you know, this is why self-help is such a big industry. The psychological aspect is the most dominant force and emotions are our way of shortcutting information, right? Think about it. Going back to being hunters and gatherers in the jungle, okay? I've got to make a quick, quick split-second decision. Is this a threat or not a threat? I see the bushes moving, and I don't know if it's the wind or if it's an actual animal there, but I've got to make an instant decision. Your emotion is an instant decision of saying, is this or is this not something? Like, I don't have time to sit there and be like, well, is that an actual leopard? Because by the time I actually critically think about it, I'm more likely going to get killed. So the people that were right. able to think quickly, which is what emotions allow you to do, right? Like anger is a quick threat response emotion, right? Oh, I never thought of it that yeah, way. Yeah, so that's why when we're talking to people and, – and if you look at society right now, we're reacting emotionally to things much quicker. And the emotion centers, when they kick in, are going to act quicker than the critical thinking centers because those centers of our brain didn't develop till much later on. You know, to, to be able to critically think, analyze, plan. So we're all going to react. It's like I stick a snake in your face. You're not going to sit there and be like, well, is the snake going to bite me? The trajectory of, of his, you know, <laughs> like you're not going to do that. You're going to be like, holy shit, I yeah. got to make a decision. So these people, when they get into these systems, first off, this is a, an emotional experience for them. This, you know, when they sing in the choir, when they talk about, you know, the love of God, when the love of this, that these are emotional responses to that. That's hard to let that go. So we think that facts alone are going to be enough, but we don't understand that emotional connection. And I think in the atheist and skeptic community, I think we should also start moving into those directions more. That's why I talk about psychology all the time, you know, especially I'm a big mental health advocate, because when we start understanding the emotional aspects, what are we going to replace these systems with? Right. I mean, throwing facts and criticizing people are only going to get us so far. We've already I think we've done a great job at doing that. But the reality is, what are we going to replace it with? My premise is, is that getting to the emotional well-being of human beings and figuring out how do we understand emotions is what's going to create these societies of people that are going to respect science more. And not just to respect science. I'm talking about making better fucking societies, right? Like when we go to war, right, or we have gang violence or we have domestic violence, these are emotions. These are, these are psychological decisions that we as human beings are making. So if we really want to truly understand that, we've got to get to the emotional core of why we as a species and even mammalian species that are close to us that exhibit these behaviors like chimpanzees, baboons, you know, why, why do they act out in violence? Why do they act the way they do in groups? 
I think psychology for me is something that we're not talking about enough. We think facts and evidence are going to be enough, but in the end, we've all learned that it, that doesn't matter. So in your case, even though you, even the facts were presented to you, you, you had an emotional attachment of being afraid of being wrong. Like you, it, it made so much discomfort that it was hard for you to change your mind. What's beautiful about science and why I, I, I support reason is we're, we're training ourselves to learn to be uncomfortable you know, learning how to live with that discomfort so we can change our mind. That's an emotional thing we need to do. And guess what? This applies to every other part of your life. Like, like think about this just for a moment. I'm going to paint this picture for a half a second. If you want to get on a diet, it's discomforting, right? But it's a, it's an emotional yeah. mindset that you got to put yourself through to discipline yourself. If you want to be an entrepreneur, anytime you want to have change, you want to run a marathon, it's always discomforting, but it's a psychological discomfort that you got to push yourself through. The military teaches you the same exact thing. It's, I think I believe it's the same thing when it comes to these people. Their mindset is getting to what is their emotional needs? What are their emotional reasoning? How do I understand that? And once you understand that, once you understand the emotional aspect of it, you start to really understand, okay, well, how do I approach this person that they don't feel threatened? And I know they're not going to change their mind overnight. Like you may not have changed. You may, you may not have changed your mind overnight over the Russia thing, but given time, right, like planting that seed and getting you to think about it yourself, you're more likely to come to your own conclusions, which is what I think we should be doing is getting people to come to their own conclusions, planting a seed. So after a while, that seed grows and lets them think about it on their own, get them to come to their own conclusion, if that makes any sense. can't help but start thinking about the word propaganda right now. Like if let's say you and I are running the country and we both are thinking a certain way and we want to get people to start changing their minds. And now you're saying, okay, well, it's not just facts we give them, but we got to affect their emotions. We have a have to have an emotional appeal to kind of generate this new thought pattern within the, the public. At what point does this start to become a form of mind control or a form of state run propaganda? You know, like that's that's my that, that's a very good question. And I do think about that a lot because propaganda is that. And but here's the thing. It's happening to us whether we like it or not. Right. Marketing companies know how to manipulate yeah. your emotions to buy products. I mean, it, it's it's happening whether we like it or not. And political ad campaigns are already using it. So I think if we can make it for something that's positive, not just trying to manipulate people for the sake of controlling them, but getting them to think more about you know, uh, uh, into valuing these these systems more. And I don't have the perfect answer to that, too. But I do think about that because I do. I mean, I study marketing all the time. And the thing that they always say is, you know, tell stories and get to the emotions of people, because those are the two ways, one, that people learn. You know, storytelling is one of the best ways that people actually learn is when you tell a story. And and two is getting to their emotional, you know, the deep emotional core. But again, I think teaching people those things makes them less likely to respond emotionally. And that's the beauty of reason is, is that when you understand that process, you're more likely to not get fooled, right? This helps you and not just in religious or conspiracy or whatever bullshit. It also helps you like, for example, someone trying to sell you a car. They're trying to get to your emotional well-being They're, You know, they try to get you into this emotional state that you'll buy on emotion. So I think educating people to understand to not respond to these emotions and understanding before you make an emotional response, impulse control, right? How do we prepare ourselves so we don't do that? And I and I literally think that this is going to help us 
and many other facets of our life, right? Not not being impulsive to spend a lot of money on your credit card, not being impulsive that when some dude looks at you crazy in a bar, you don't punch his ass in the face, right? Like, or, or talk about school shootings, you know, learning impulsive control and impulsive behavior with anger, with with economics, you know, delayed gratification. This is how important this stuff is. And, and it's funny how we start off with religion and trying to do the same thing, but you can see how it could branch off into these other political areas. I believe right now our political situation in America is based all off of emotional impulses. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. It's people reacting to, they're not really thinking about anything anymore. They see the perception of what they want to see about reality. And they, like literally, I mean, I just saw this the other day with, and I apologize if if I screw this up, but I saw Tony Robbins was speaking about the Me Too movement and everybody criticized him for what he had said about the Me Too movement. Now, you know, I support the Me Too movement, Hmm. but there's also problems with the Me Too movement, right? And sure. Well, I mean, what did he say? I, hadn't um, I don't I, I recommend people to go and actually watch the video because I don't want to put words in his mouth. But I'm paraphrasing to saying something that he supports the Me Too movement. But he's also trying to say, like, don't use it as a stance of being a victim. Right. I don't want you to be in oh, a victim. I see what you mean. And yeah. and it was, it was long and elaborate to what he was trying to say. And this woman just kept trying to say, well, you don't understand the Me Too movement. He wasn't trying to say that he was criticizing the Me Too movement. He was just trying to he was criticizing victimhood. And I tend to notice every time somebody has a criticism about something that they think that every little criticism is about them specifically or, or something mm. completely. I mean, it, it's the same thing with going on with police officers right now. OK, for example, I do believe that there are, are, are fucked up, stupid police officers that are out there doing dumb shit. But I also believe a lot of them are getting a lot of shit that they don't deserve because people are perceiving that they're all being racist, that they're all being fucked up. Right. It's not a right. black and white issue. I think people's emotions get in the way to where their perception about reality is being affected, that they can't critically look at the gray areas. And every situation is different to how you perceive it. Going back to the Me Too movement, Matt Damon got his ass chewed out for the same thing, you know, because. Yeah. And if I recall, he was just saying something. Yeah. Nice. And, and, and we have to tell the difference between an asshole like Harvey Weinstein, who did some fucked up things. And then. Uh, you know, I don't remember the comedian's name, but somebody who may have made a mistake or said something, you know, uh, like there is a variance to how we deal with these problems. And we're not thinking along those lines. We think it's all or nothing. Everything is black and white thinking. Oh, Louis C.K. Um, no, the other comedian. He's uh, a Anna Anna Saz. I can't remember his name. Unfortunately. Aziz Ansari. Yeah. yeah. So it was overblown. And it was just a bad date. Right. That, that guy. That's exactly it. And so for me, it, like now, like Louis standing in a doorway jerking off. Like that, okay, come on, that you know, like that's that's too far. Or you're using your power over someone else to get laid, or, or, or to to start masturbating for them. Like I can understand that, but yeah. the Aziz thing was that was jacked up, man. It's just a crappy date. We've all had right. That. And that's and that's the whole point is we don't look at all of these as individual cases and how do we understand each one for what they are? You know, going back to the police officer shooting, I've seen again, there's police officers I've seen that. that and I've worked with police officers when I you know, I used to live in Las Vegas. I was a security supervisor. I used to work with police officers all the time. I used to watch them do fucked up things. I'm not trying to say that there's there isn't fucked up police officers, but there's also police officers who are making hard critical important decisions that for some reason other people think that they would make better ones in those positions like they're all armchair quarterbacking what they think they would do in those positions and we're not looking critically about the gray areas in each one of these cases of anything that we're talking about now 
you know, any one of these things. And, 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 and we're just becoming emotional reactive. And so then we, what do we do? We do a Twitter flood on people's accounts. We, we get them to apologize over some things that they don't need to apologize over. And, and we see this. We see Peter Bogosian talk about this. We see Jordan Peterson talking about this. We see people just being so offended that they, they can't even think critically about any criticism at all. And the one thing I relate that to is revolutions throughout time. And if you really look at throughout time, many revolutionaries, when they try to overcome, the, they try to overthrow the tyrant they were trying to overthrow, they became the same tyrant. And that's what yes. we have to be careful of, is not becoming the enemy we're trying to overtake. And they four wheels would take them there until the cops came and said, there's no skating here. And so we kick, push, kick, push, kick, push, kick, push, coast. And the way they roll, just rebels without a cause with no place to go. So it's, it's, I'm okay about the criticism. I'm okay about talking about it. It's like guns, right? I'm okay about talking about guns either way. Whatever position you have, let's talk about it. But don't become the tyrant that you're trying to overcome. You've got to be able to think critically about these positions. And and the only way to do that, not the only way, but one of the ways, is not letting your emotions override your logic. There's nothing wrong with emotions. There's nothing wrong with being emotional. But not letting you take such a personal stance that you can't think critically. Because, again, if someone tells you, hey – uh, you know, maybe Russians were not involved with Japan. You won't feel like, oh, that's a personal attack on me. You'll just be like, oh, well, these are facts. That's hard to do. And I'm training myself even when 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 that. It's hard. It's hard to do it. Yeah, it, it, but it's like any other muscle, right? Like if I want to lift weights, I've got to train myself to do that, and it is hard. And it's hard for me because ask anyone that knows me, I fucking hate being wrong. I I, I hate it so <laughs> bad, you know. And 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 I'll defend. You know, I, I heard that about you. Everybody says that. Man. Yeah, no, everybody. <laughs> I'm I, just kidding. <laughs> But what were you saying about political correctness? One of the things that I really hate about the PC movement, for the record, there has to be a term for what it is, and that term is political correctness. So if, if a senator right now said something about black people being three-fifths of a person, just there would be public outrage, naturally. One, because it's wrong, but you know, two, because it's just a very offensive thing to say. Well, that's, that's political correctness. That didn't used to exist. But, you know, socially, we've evolved into, you know, realizing that this, you're not supposed to say these things. Or if you think these things, you're probably not going to be a good representative of the people because you you don't really represent all the people. Right. At the same time, though, another thing that political correctness does is it says if you or at least the way it seems like it's going now, if you're not uh, this group, then you cannot comment about this group. So if you're not a woman. You really have no right to talk about Me Too. Or if you're not a black person, you really have no right to talk about what what racism is. If you're not a part of the trans community, you really shouldn't be talking about trans stuff. I respect that thinking in terms of, okay, you probably, if you're a black guy and I'm a white guy, and I have questions about what it's like to be a black person, you know, that I should probably ask you rather than a white guy. That, that Of course, that you know, that makes perfect sense. But at the same time to say that, we can't come to any conclusions unless we segregate ourselves and separate ourselves and divide ourselves up. And then everybody should have their own ideas about their own little group 
Like, there's no unity with that kind of thinking. And that's one thing with the PC culture. It worries me a little bit, you know? Yeah, and that's the problem with identity politics that people keep trying to say is, is that it actually is segregating us. It doesn't allow us to be a cohesive unit and say, hey, we're all individuals, right? Like, I'm a white guy, but I don't speak for the white guy. And these stupid Nazi racist people out there, they don't speak for me. So then why do other minorities feel that all these other people have to always speak for them and those – and I can't say anything. I've actually – I've been attacked – as somebody who leans more left about I, I've even, I've been even told that myself. I, you know, like I hate racism. I hate sexism. I, I hate discriminatory bullshit because it's not a it's you, you can't determine anything based off anybody's skin or or, or who they love or whatever. You know, I, I hate it. Yet it, it is kind of funny how I'm attacked by the left just the same. And I have been I, I've had uh, gay friends of mine tell me because I'm sh- straight that I can't say anything. And I've had I've had black people tell me, oh, because you're white, you can't say anything. And and it's not all people that are that way that say that to me, but right, right. I think that is fucked up that you would say that because you're now being just like these asshole white people who are racist. You're being just like these asshole homophobic people that are, you know what I'm saying? Like you're not being that much different by by somebody who's actually on your side supporting what it is that you're doing. And while I understand your frustration about it, you can't pigeonhole all white straight males as being that. And a lot of us do speak out about it. And a lot of us hate these fucking asshole Nazi fucking, you know, sexist people, whatever. But you can't go acting like the same tyrant and thinking that, you know, you're you're 100 percent a victim in every single case. Right. Because you're not. You may have been victimized, but you're still an individual and you're being victimized by individuals. Right. Like the white race is not actually attacking you. You have shitty people that are in the white race. It's just like with men and, right. and women. Right. Like the feminist movement, I think, divided our, our community a lot. But for me, I feel like I support women's rights. I'm, I'm, I, I think, you know, equal pay for women. But I think it's based off of their merit, not because they're women. Right. Like you don't get any extra special money or privileges anymore for being a woman than I do being a man. In fact, that's what makes us actually equal, giving us real equality is equal of opportunity, not outcome. But again, not all men are like I, I see feminists saying this all the time. They're like, oh, this is the patriarchy. This is all men. No, it's not all men. It, and and they even get mad when you say that. They're like, oh, OK, you're going to say not all men. But if you're not even thinking along those terms, you're not actually accurately perceiving reality because I don't think all women are that way. I don't think that all minorities are that way, right? I don't think all women are feminists that way either. Everyone is an individual. Even us as, as, as Americans, people can look at Americans and say, well, all Americans are fucking greedy and whatever. No, not all Americans support this. And we have to stop judging these groups and, and individuals within those groups, which, again, is a short-term emotional response. We got to stop fucking putting people into groups and saying, well, that's who this person must be, Right. That's who I, I mean, even even us as atheists and skeptics, I think we can all, including myself, do a little bit better job of that, too, when it comes to Christians. Right. Because we all know that not all Christians agree with what a lot of these dumb Christians do. Right. There's Christian. There's many different variances of Christians. There's Christians that don't uh, oppress gay people. There's Christians that just go out and try to help the homeless. We may not agree with their philosophy and it's OK to debate it. But we can't make them all like they're a bunch of stupid fucking people because they're not. Some people are intelligent people. And that's hard for us to do. So we we need to take our own advice and saying if we don't like identity politics, well, we as atheists and skeptics can't play identity politics and think that all Christians are all one group. That, that's fascinating. I, I hadn't thought about identity politics in the atheist community. That's that's a good point. But I want to I want to do a little pushback if, if you'll let me, Ben. Here. Sure. So when you're talking about um, individualism and how it's not it's not the white 
people attacking minorities, it's a white guy or, or particular white people, or it's not women being oppressed by men, it's particular women being oppressed by particular men, and we need to look at it from uh, um, this kind of American, rugged, individualist kind of perspective. Correct me if I'm mischaracterizing where you're going with that, but I kind of feel like what that thinking might leave out, though, while, while I agree with the sentiment of what you're saying, what that thinking doesn't seem to take into acknowledgement is that there are certain groups that get treated a certain way. And if we look at them as individuals and ignore their differences, we ignore race, we ignore gender, then we don't get to look at the big picture. Right. So in the same way, if we're saying, um, well, perfect, you know, it, you can look at the particular trees of the forest. Right. Uh, but if, if you just focus on each individual tree, you might forget that there is a whole, a whole forest, you know? So in that, in that same very corny analogy that I use, very, very cliche analogy in that same way, whenever we look at our prison systems and they're uh, predominantly black males, we have to think, oh, well, what is called, obviously there is a divergence within our society. And at that moment, we either have to say, uh, and correct me if I'm making a false dichotomy here. I know you're Bogosian's buddy, so you're gonna you're gonna be quick with <laughs> identifying logical fallacies and all that. So no doubt, your your movie was was pretty intimidating in that regard. We can either say, look, black people are more prone to commit crime, or our society is more prone to lock up black people. Uh, that seems like the the only two options there. Or whenever we look at women uh, and and their uh, you know equal pay issues that feminism brings up women do typically make less money even in you know the higher corporate positions so if we look at it from an individual perspective i feel like we're we're missing the forest for the tree and it, and, and it's not to say that there isn't racism there isn't sexism i think the thing is is when we look at these um problems it may seem on the surface like okay it, it's an either or and i look at it as there's probably many factors that contribute to that for example if we look at you know african americans uh, in the in the prison system it could also be yes it's partially due to racism but it's also environmental factors it's also poverty and what leads to these things you know and like i said it doesn't eliminate it and say well just because there's a couple bad apples you know but there could be many different variances and factors and and, and a lot of it could have been led up from prior um, you know, from prior thinking and behaviors, for example, you know, um, I think Michael Shermer brought this up about how we actually are less racist than we've been before. But it doesn't mean that the prior implications of how we were racist back in those days didn't lead to certain systems that exist now. So we need to look at all these determining factors. Same with the with the with the um, women making less money. OK, there might be some pockets of society in some areas where. It probably is sexism. It probably is men, you know, not paying women enough. But when we look at the whole picture of it, there's many other factors of why women don't take certain jobs in certain fields. Uh, more women are more likely to uh, stay at home with their kids. Some women are probably actually smarter than guys not putting themselves through the ringer with these crazy ass high paying jobs. And we think that because, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I heard um, I heard this actually in a debate which I thought was a really good point. In fact, I think I just did an interview with somebody about diversity about this, that just because men do something 
doesn't mean that's the way it should be done. So women might actually be smarter not stressing themselves up with these CEO jobs and these, you know, whatever, doing the same thing, you know. And I haven't seen anything that disqualifies a woman from being able to do the same thing as a man. I, I believe in real equality and saying that women are capable, at least mentally, of doing the same thing. Now, there are physical differences, and that's okay. But I don't think there's anything so different that we can't you know, work through it. But again, we've seen in many societies, going back to women and equality, where even in societies where women have the most equality, where they have the most freedom to do whatever they want, they still gravitate towards certain types of positions, right? Certain positions that fit them more. And I think we're starting to find that these are also choices also being made when it comes to that. So I, I, it's not that it eliminates and say, well, if we just look at an individual, we shouldn't look at the tree, you know, forest for the trees. I think we, we should in some instances, but if we don't break it down and we don't look, if we keep looking at it black and white, we may not see all the factors that lead to how this came into being. And I think that's what people are trying to, trying to challenge. So, uh, so again, just like with police officers, right? There may be full departments, literally full departments. And we've seen this. Full departments where they have rampant racism, okay? But it doesn't mean that another department somewhere else doesn't have that but doesn't still have problems. So we have to look at these as a case-by-case scenario and say, okay, well, where is it actually racism? And let's address that and let's let's talk about it. Let's get rid of that shit. Absolutely. There's Absolutely. also some parts where, well, maybe the police officers are completely undertrained or they're underfunded or they're not trained properly to deal with stress. I mean, how many of these factors have to do with – you know, stress. So it's kind of like working on the body. It's just like you got to do a holistic approach. And I, and I don't mean that like new agey, like the new age people. <laughs> yeah. I'm taking it like looking at it for all the factors that could be contributing to it. And I think that's the best way to solve the problem. I think we're, we're so caught up in thinking that if we criticize this, like, for example, if you say something about the feminist movement, that somehow you're against women. And I'm definitely not against women. I think I, I really love it when I see women succeed because they should. They're smart. They're intelligent. There's nothing. And the same with minorities. I mean, I'm inspired by so many people in the minority community. I was just watching a documentary last night about Martin Luther King, and I was like, this, this guy is one of the most brilliant, you know, his nonviolent philosophy, man. Like, it makes me just not want to even do politics anymore because he's so smart about how he approaches problems. There's so many people in these communities that we can all learn from. But I don't look at Martin Luther King as a black man. I look at him as a man with good ideas. And that's what I think equality comes down to in saying that these ideas should be what make us good, right? Like these stupid white Nazi fucking people don't represent my ideas and who I am as an individual, and I wouldn't want to be treated that way, and I don't want to treat other people that way. But if we all look at the problems that we have in our life, right, like the problems I have in my life are not because I'm a white straight male. The problems I have in my life are the decisions that I'm making. But it doesn't mean there aren't certain privileges that I probably get that maybe minorities don't. Maybe more times than not. When I get stopped by a police officer, it could be true that he's not going to, you know, judge me in certain areas. But then we really need to look at when is that actually happening and when is it also, okay, somebody's not listening to an officer's commands correctly. We need to look at it as a holistic of all the things and not be afraid to look at that. And again, it's going back to that, to getting into the gray areas and figuring out which situations is this happening more? Is it attributed to just this or is there multiple prongs that could be attributing to a much bigger forest? Of problems. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%, but let me just throw a caveat at it, and you tell me how this sounds, okay? So imagine we're in a society where, where only type A people have dominated trade or dominating the socioeconomic system. The judges, the police actually controlled Group B for thousands of years, and then we advance as a society where our laws actually say everybody's going to be treated equally and everything's fine, but... In that moment, 
Group B is still suffering the effects of a systemic problem that while we might not have actual literal laws in place that are this way or that way, or there might be affirmative action or there might be uh, you know, equal pay, but there's still a systemic problem at hand. And in that situation, I think, and I've, <laughs> I kind of feel like, like we're, we're sitting by you know, like a fireside chat and you're over there like in a, in a nice suit, like smoking a super intelligent pipe. And I've got on my black lives matter t-shirt and my pink pussy hat right now, but, but still, <laughs> I feel like, like what your, what your perspective, while, while I agree with you, there's a lot more factors we need to consider. I feel like one factor that you're, you might be leaving out is the systemic problems that minorities might have and and women included even though they're obviously not a minority but they certainly can be treated like Yeah that. and I think the thing is is that I, I wouldn't discount that there aren't problems I wonder to, to the extent where people think it's systemic I think that's I think there are parts of it that are systemic but I don't think that's the overall picture and even though it may have been for many years right now it's not as much as people think and that's that was a position where i had to change my mind because i thought the same way i thought it was it was mainly systemic but the reality is is there's still problems systemically and and, and i don't want to get too far out of my area of expertise because this is not really my area of expertise um in fact i would encourage people to not even take what i'm saying as a grain of salt and really listen to an expert at this part of it <laughs> but from what i hear sure. is is that um there are still problems systemically but not to the extent that we think that they are but also that there's many other factors that may contribute to the problem that we're also not thinking about. So that's the thing. So, again, I'm not trying to say that there's not privilege, that there's not sexism, that there's not problems. But I also think we're not looking at all these other factors that could also be contributing to it at the same time. Does that make sense? And, again, I'm not an expert that in this field, so I, ca I can't answer it the best. And I don't want people to think like, well, Ben Fama's gospel. No, fuck that. I'm not gospel of anything. <laughs> just, from what, just from my understanding. it, and I, and I really would like to encourage your listeners to really like go out there and explore that idea and, and, and talk to people much smarter than even myself. Because I'm not the guy sitting here in an intellectual suit, whatever. I'm here in a hat and a, a funny shirt wearing, you know. So, yeah, go talk to the actual person with the actual. But it's the Sherlock Holmes hat with the flaps on the side. <laughs> yeah. So you still look smart. Yeah. Yeah, no, and that's not me at all. So I, but I, but I definitely want to encourage people to really look into this and 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 understand maybe why someone might say that. And this is just my understanding from people that are much smarter than me. So I don't want to say that I'm completely 100% right about it. I could be wrong. Um, just my understanding about diversity. If you really look at diversity, in fact, there's a really great. In fact, I would encourage people. There's this really great video uh, that has Peter Bogosian in it. He talks to James Damore from the you know the whole Google the whole Google fiasco. And it's called um, uh, Let's Talk About Diversity. And they bring up hmm. some thoughtful points. And I really encourage, you know, if you're a critical thinker and you're into reason, to really understand what we mean when we're talking about diversity and how what we perceive to be some of the problems, which are still problems, but what we perceive to be just the only reason why that they could be problems, that they could also be these other things that are going on naturally about us, you know. And I, I really encourage people to go listen to that and, 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 and gain more knowledge from that than even from, from me. Does that make sense? Yeah. But let me, let me talk about what didn't just happen in this conversation. There wasn't this trying to straw man the other person. There wasn't this uh, trying to uh, vilify you as something that you're not, or you trying to vilify me as something that I'm not, you know, like I make the joke about like, I'm, I'm wearing my pink pussy hat right now, but that's <laughs> obviously for the sake of levity. But imagine that same conversation. If I was having it with someone that that's not like yourself, not willing to have these discussions, which I think is really important in the marketplace of ideas. And they say that to me and I go, 
you know, I I think that you might be wrong about, uh, you know, equal pay for women or something. You know, just one of the topics we covered, right? And they look at me and they're like, oh, what are you wearing, your pink pussy hat? Right. Ah, you know, and but how often does that happen between all of us, you know, on the Internet or with coworkers or friends, especially with family? Fucking Thanksgiving dinner, am I right? right. So uh, what I really appreciate is the conversation we just had. We mostly agree on everything. It looks like we kind of disagree on on some facets of the topics of diversity, right? right? We're able to talk about it and figuring out why we think the way that we think and why we believe in what we believe. That's really the only way that we're going to be able to have these kinds of conversations and actually get to the truth. Because if we if we just assume that our side has all the facts and the other side doesn't, or our side is just right and the other side is just wrong, we're doomed. And even if you have the facts, it's good to understand why you even think that those facts are true, if, mm. if you do, and not being afraid to be wrong. And Robert, you brought up a really good point. We're not having these civilized discussions. And even for someone like me, I'm learning how to do this. I was very firebranded when I first started. I was like Hitchens. I was like, your fucking ideas are stupid. You're an asshole. You're, you know, I used to be just critical of people. And then even the film has started to get me to understand having a civil conversation. And it's one of the reasons why, like, um, there was some interviews I did with people that had a completely different view than I did. I didn't get a chance to put them in the film, but they're free online. So if you look up reasons to believe, it's called conversations of belief. I actually talked to believers. But the one thing that the film did even teach me is how do you have these civil conversations? And we shouldn't be afraid of them. We should put our emotions aside. It's like, okay, right. how do we right. understand each other? Because I And I do think that's where we're getting lost. We think we are our beliefs. Like, you know, I like the Raiders. You like the Broncos. Actually, it's actually opposite. I hate the Raiders, but but it doesn't mean that there's other things in common we don't have. And why are we not sitting down to have these conversations? Because I agree with you. Online is one of the shittiest places to have any type of discussion. But the fact that we are having one now is great because like even right now, I could be wrong. Everything I've said on this podcast right now, Robert, I could be completely wrong with. And I've got to learn to accept that if I'm wrong, it's OK. It's OK. I, literally, I, 10, 10 years from now, you might bring me on the podcast five years from now and I might be like, you know, everything I said was wrong. And someone could be like, oh, see, Ben doesn't know shit. We shouldn't feel that way. Flip flopper. Yeah, no, we should be like, that's great that <laughs> yeah. you evolved your position. And even the position, exactly. even the position I have right now that I've, I was, I was actually saying here on the show is an evolved position. I didn't always have this one. I actually probably did think more along the lines about what you're thinking. So I do understand it, but it doesn't mean that I'm fully right. And that's when I try to say, at this point, it may just come out of my area of expertise and listen to people even smarter than me and just formulate your own opinion about it and see what you come up with. I don't want to tell you or anyone else what to believe about it. And if I'm wrong, then I apologize. But if I am, I, I'm okay with that. I, you know, I really am. I'm like, okay, because I, I want to know the truth as closely as possible as I can get. And, and I, I really believe these conversations, if we're honest with ourselves about it, not just trying to prove people wrong, you know, the way we're having the conversation is how we learn this shit. Having a civilized fucking discussion and sitting down like adults and saying, how do we actually understand the problem? Because we might find something that is the third answer that you or me didn't even think about, right? You never know how it's going to play out. And we can't sit there and be like, you're a jackass. You're, and I believe me, I want to do that. I want to do it with this damn president. I want to do it with a lot of people. And I'm still guilty of doing it. But I've learned so much more, so much more by having an intellectual conversation like you and me are having. And that that's what I think your your documentary is about. That's what it was to me is seeing that as I thought. People need to see this. People need to share it. So I, I would encourage any of the listeners, share it with people. This is primarily what this broadcast is trying to promote is entering new ideas, figuring out why we have these ideas, figuring out how to change minds. Thank you, Ben Fama Jr., for, for putting that documentary together. And thank you for 
coming and talking to us today. Uh, can you can you and thank you so much yeah so could you tell everybody how they can find this and, and where they should look yeah so um for the documentary they could well there's a couple ways they can go to amazon and just search reasons to believe documentary and, and make sure you put documentary in there because you'll probably come up with another religious hmm. thing if you type in reasons to believe but if you like you can just go to my website benfamajr.com b-e-n-f-a-m-a jr.com i have all the links there if they want to find that and the other stuff i'm working on including podcasts and they can find the film there and um and i just want to say you know robert thank you for also doing what you're doing and i hope that your audience will continue to help share this as well because i think we are actually creating some of the most important content out there right now i really do i think that these need to have happen and we need to be able to support each other as podcasters and say hey you know these conversations they're hard they're difficult but we're willing to go out there and do it and i and i think this needs to be more out in front than the kardashians and kanye west or whatever you know like i'm not trying to clown on them but i'm just trying to say that <laughs> these intellectual conversations don't get heard as much as they should be and i don't like using the word should but i'm thankful that you're out there in the trenches doing the same thing so even if we disagree on some things i know we agree on many other things and that getting the word out there and trying to get people to think about these things is probably the ultimate goal that's the ultimate value so thank you for having me on your show Let Ben groove you, baby, right up in your brain by checking out that documentary, Reasons to Believe. Thanks for listening and learning with me today. Next week, we'll be doing another debate, Flat Earth. What? What did I say? Yeah, we'll be talking to a flat earther. It's, uh, it's going to get weird. I'm not really sure what to expect on this one. Uh, but between now and then, check us out at patreon.com forward slash right and the right to reason.com. If you really want to do something for me, be sure to keep it funky. Remember that you have the right to reason. When I wake up in the morning, love, and the sunlight hurts my eyes. Wake up this whole other side of me. I was like, oh shit, you know. And when I started learning about skepticism and, you know, thinking and critical thinking and how to think, that's when I started questioning everything. And it started, I started to change my mind during that process. <laughs> I just want to fix the story. My brain just. Like, I, I really started listening, and then my brain just went dead, and I'm just like, oh, wait. I was well, no worries. I mean, I can pick it up from there it, real quick and just know no, no. where, where <laughs> I actually listened to your uh, your Garcia episode. Loved it. Right on. Very cool. Yeah, that was cool. I and mean, then I kept having technical oh, fucking difficulties. I felt so bad for you because, I mean, I there's like, nothing you can fucking do. No, it was it frustrating because he's such a great interview. And I listened to the interview you did with him, too, which was really great. He's just a, such a great guy. In fact, I think it was you that I saw on the message board, you know, on the Atheist Skeptics message board. And I was like, yeah, for sure. So when I got his book, I was like, just fucking phenomenal just really oh real quick what's the format on your show when it comes to language i mean i i, I cuss but i don't need to cuss i don't know yeah if you yeah need. please feel free to cuss okay it's not all right child friendly at all okay i just i do it and i don't mean to so i just want to make sure so. during a uh, uh i have i have people like volunteer to do like audio things and during one to support my patreon i think i might have said i'll suck your dick for patreon or something so it's <laughs> it's totally fine 
Hey, if it works, I guess so. You know what I mean? Yeah, okay, cool. Right on. Very cool. Whatever sound. Yeah, it's tough, man. It's a tough, it's a tough gig, you know? So. Seemed impossible to think. And when someone else instead of me always seems to know the way, then I look at you. And the world's all right with me. I just want to look at you. And I know it's gone. Michigan still doesn't have clean water. Yeah, but-